Genesis chapter 11. We are going to talk about the line of Shem. We're going to talk about how it leads into Abraham, which is the whole point of the uh, all of the things that have led up to this point are leading up to God showing again a chosen people. He had Adam, right? First created man, and then he had Noah, who he chose from all of the people all over the earth, right? Amen? And then we have Noah's son, Sham, Ham, and Japheth, and we went over their lineages and the important, quote-unquote, uh, people in their lineages. Amen? And then we have the story of the, the uh, Tower of Babel, where we are seeing God spread out all of the people all throughout the earth through the lines of Sham, Ham, and Japheth. Amen? Now, before I get started with this, I had an interesting conversation today with some sisters and brother in Christ at a meeting I had today, and all too often I think that churches assume that their people are reading the Bible, okay? Churches assume that their people sitting in the pews understand what they're reading, uh, what they believe, amen? And the reason that modern Christians don't know how to give an answer for the hope that lies within them is because the church has gotten away from doing what we have been doing for the last year. And it's not popular. It's not popular just to go through the Bible and, and talk about it and, and dissect it and really pull it apart. What does this mean? What does that mean? And people don't like that. You want to know how I know? Look at the room. Amen? They want to be entertained. They want to be, uh, they want to be, they want the show to be put on, but they don't want to be a part of it. You see what I mean? They want Christianity that doesn't cost anything. Amen? Now, salvation is free, but the Christian life costs me everything. Amen? I, I had this conversation with some people, and I'm just going to call this my exhortation to those who are not here. Okay? This is my exhortation to those who are not here. Your faith will not be built up by osmosis. Amen? Just because you have a Bible sitting on a shelf in your home doesn't mean you'll walk by it and look at it every once in a while and then somehow you'll know how to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. Amen? When, when the world is getting worse and worse, can I get an amen somebody? Amen? The world is not getting better. If you can just look outside, turn on the TV, Turn on Facebook if you got it. If you don't, bless you, you're smarter than most people. The realities that the world is getting worse are all around us. The world is getting more ungodly, revealing itself to be more ungodly, and Christians become more and more and more and more apathetic. I had a question asked to me today, and, and we were in this conversation, people 
people, Christians, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this as plainly as I can. Christians nowadays think that Sunday morning service is their expectation, and that's it. They don't, nothing else is expected of them. Nothing, you know, they've done their duty, so to speak. But what if we were thrown into the midst of persecution, which surely looks like it's on the horizon? Amen? The, our country is walking more and more and more away from God, and it's becoming less and less and less and less popular to be a Bible-believing Christian. Oh, you can be one of those Christians that kowtows to every uh, single whim of the culture, who, who bows its knee to CRT, who bows its knee to the LGBTQ community, who bows its knee to, to every other ungodly abomination that this country wants to say is okay. They like those people who call themselves Christians, but they don't like Christians that actually read their Bible. They don't like Christians that actually believe their Bible. They don't like Christians who actually try to apply the Bible to their life. Okay? So I realize the real brand of Christianity that says you need to read your Bible, you need to pray, you need to fellowship with other believers, you need to go and witness to other believers, you need to go tell your family about Christ. This kind of Christianity is not the Christianity that people want. They want the kind that just says, it's okay just to sit in the pew. It's okay just to come once a month or once, you know, once every couple weeks. Why am I talking about this? Am I just harping on this because I want people in the door? No, I do want people in the door, but I think the fact that they're not here reveals something else. It reveals that they don't clearly understand the commitment to Christ that becoming a follower of Christ takes. Jesus said, unless you take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. So it's hard for me to ingest the modern definition of committed Christianity when I can look in the Bible, in the New Testament, and see a whole different brand of Christianity. You know what I mean? Now, this is the excuse I hear. Well, cultures change. We live in a different culture. So our culture dictates how committed to Christ we are. So culture gets to tell us, oh, you got to run around and be so busy that you don't have time for God. Just think about that for a moment. What if Jesus Christ showed up in the middle of your job and you're like, oh, man, I'm so good. It's so great to see you, Jesus. Can you go sit over there for a minute? I'll be done in about six, seven hours. What if what if Christ came to your house right when you got off work? 
Because you know that's when people normally call you, right? Because they know when you get off work, and then they're texting you and calling you, and they're telling you, hey, I need this, and hey, I need that, and hey, I need this other thing. And we all go, hey, I just got off work, and I got time for this, I got to do this, got to feed the dogs, got to feed the kids, got to go home, got to get a shower, got to do, right? Now, I want you to know something. There are people that come to this church every single week, come to every service, and they all have that same issue. Mike goes to work every week, every day, goes to work, comes home, gets his kids ready, comes to church. Amen? Nobody has a life that just doesn't have anything going on. Culture is not the problem. Commitment is the problem. Faithfulness is the problem. Amen? Perseverance is the problem. I believe that we need to stop. We need to take time to actually make Christ the Lord of our lives. Take a moment and say, okay, God, I'm stopping what I'm doing because I know this is important. This will edify me. This will build me up. And then you have Christians, when, when things go wrong, they go, I don't know where God's at in this. And I'm saying, well, I bet God's wondering the same thing about you. Well, they haven't prayed for a while. They haven't read their Bible. They haven't talked to anybody about a spiritual issue of any kind. Yet we claim to follow Christ. Amen. So my my exhortation is not, hey, get to church. My exhortation is that of the Apostle Paul. Examine your heart. Where are you at with Christ? Amen. Not you guys, because you're here. Now we can do that. It's important for all of us to examine ourselves. Amen. But the exhortation is for those who aren't here, who believe that church is not important. Reading your Bible is not important. Praying isn't important. These things that we, we're, that, you know, Acts chapter 2, four, verse 42 says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, right? Why was it important to them? They stopped their day to go do these things. Do you realize that when uh, it was time for prayer, it wasn't random. Jews prayed three times a day. So when it said they devoted themselves to prayer, what it meant was three times a day, they would stop what they're doing and go and pray purposefully. Amen? And they were committed to doing that. Why? Because they wanted to see other people come to Christ. Amen? What do we have to do? What is, what is the church doing wrong that we can't foster and build up Christians who find these things to be valuable? Amen? It's just like tonight. It's just like tonight and what we're reading. The reason I'm bringing this exhortation up is because we have been reading through Genesis and most people don't find a lot of Genealogy is important. They don't find a lot of, oh, you know, I'll read chapter 12 of Genesis because 
you know, that's when God calls Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldeans, right? I'll read that, but why do I got to read this and understand this other stuff? Amen? Because all of this other stuff is so important for our understanding of, the, of how God, from the beginning of creation, from the very fall of man, had a plan and a purpose and he worked it out all through scripture, through certain people, through certain genealogies, through all the way to Christ, who would be the redeemer of the world. Amen? That's why these things are important. But we take them for granted and we think, oh, that's not really, how's that going to help me with my groceries? Okay, first of all, God didn't say, hey, I'm going to help you with all your groceries. He said, a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. You want some Bible for, for, for God providing for you? Go get a job. God made man to work. <laughs> Amen? He made man to work. He made man to be in charge, to, to take charge of life and family and the world, to take dominion over the world to subdue the world amen that's man's role man wasn't said hey just go over here and sit down and wait a little while and god will just give you all this stuff right in your lap no god put man in a garden and said here go work this amen now when i'm saying man here i'm talking about human beings amen we understand that god had a plan that human beings were to work and to strive for the things of life. Amen. Now, does God provide those things? Absolutely. Now, does God just supernaturally just give them to any old lazy bum? That's not ever said in Scripture. Not ever. Amen. We can't start applying Scripture that way. Well, how come? Well, if you'd read your Bible a little more, you'd know. <laughs> how do I know all this stuff? Because I read my Bible, right? Well, how do you know that? Because I read the Bible. I read it all the time, every day, amen? We need that. We had a conversation last night uh, at our discipleship class, and I told them, I said, you will never find a person that reads their Bible every day and doesn't pray. It almost goes hand in hand that those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness will read the Bible. And reading the Bible makes me want to fellowship with God. And then I pray. It's almost inevitable. Amen? You'll never see somebody who prays all the time but doesn't read their Bible. Doesn't happen. Which is why I assume most of the time when people don't read their Bible on their own, that they don't pray on their own either. And about the only time they will pray is when they're in trouble. And that's not commitment. God wants us to pray all the time. Seek him all the time. This is something that the early church did in practice on purpose. Amen? So my goal of going through Genesis is not to give you, now you will gain deep revelation about God and what God's done through his 
uh, his, his eternal plan for humanity and all the different people that God used to fulfill that. And you'll, grant, you'll gain a deep understanding of who God is, what God does, and what God wants to do for you. Amen? But it also builds up in you a desire for more, more of God. Praying, seeking, spending time with God. Amen? Faith. People go, I just don't know if I have faith to believe that. Well, guess what? It's because you're not reading the Bible. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want your faith to be built up? Get your Bible out and pray. Amen? Build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Can I get an amen? So tonight we're going to continue our lesson, and I'm going to end my exhortation with, I want all of God's people everywhere to pray all the time, to be in his word all the time, to fellowship with other believers as much as they possibly can, and to support the work of the gospel. That's called being the church. That's what the church is, period. Now that I'm done with that exhortation, I will give you a little uh, break. <laughs> I get pretty intense, but I get so exhausted with apathy and people who want stuff from God but don't want to live for God. I, I posted a Facebook post yesterday or the day before don't tell me that you would die for Christ when you will not live for him today I mean that I don't see that I don't see anybody ever doing that that they are not willing to live for Christ but they're willing to die for him I find it hard to believe find it hard to believe let's go to Genesis chapter 10 or chapter 11 excuse me verse 10 we're going to pick back up here at Genesis 10, or Genesis 11:10, where we're going to pick up at just Shem's lineage. Now, the author of the book of Genesis, Moses, is now reciting just Shem's lineage. And he takes Shem's lineage all the way down to Abraham. Amen. So we're going to start at verse 10. And these are the generations of Shem. Shem was, excuse me, Shem was a hundred years old and begot Erphaxed, who uh, two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he begot Erphaxed 500 years and begot sons and daughters. And Erfax lived five and thirty years and begot Selah. And Erfax lived after he begot Selah four hundred and three years and begot sons and daughters. And Selah lived thirty years and begot Eber. And Selah lived after he begot Eber four hundred and three years and begot sons and daughters. And Eber lived four and thirty years and begot Haleg. 
And Eber lived after he begot Peleg 430 years and begot, and he begot sons and daughters. And Peleg lived 30 years and begot Rehu. And Peleg lived after he begot Rehu 209 years and begot sons and daughters. And Rehu lived 230 years and begot uh, two and thirty years, excuse me, not two hundred and thirty years. Rehu lived two and thirty years, which is thirty-two years, and begot Serug. And Rehu lived after he begot Serug two hundred and seven years and begot sons and daughters. And Serug lived thirty years and begot Nahor. And Serug lived after he begot Nahor two hundred years and begot sons and daughters. And Nahor lived nine and twenty years and begot Terah. And Nahor lived after he begot Terah a hundred and nineteen years and begot sons and daughters. And Terah lived seventy years and he begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now I'm going to stop right here for a moment. This genealogy is put in here for a very specific reason. And it's to show you that the line that God said. Now, first of all, after the flood and Noah got drunk and lay naked in his tent, Ham beheld his father's nakedness. Amen. Ham begot his father's nakedness and Canaan got cursed by Abram or by Noah, right? And then he said, blessed be the God of Sham, for he'll be mighty. And God's going to give him great tents and his brother Japheth will live in his tents, right? We understand that in that story that Sham was becoming the next generation that God was setting forth to follow the lineage down to Abram, then down to Joseph, then down to David, then down to Christ. Amen? So this is the lineage, and there's a reason for it in the Hebrew understanding, because this lineage is very important. I want you to understand that Israel does not come out of Ham. Israel is not the sons of Ham. Israel is not the sons of Jacob. Israel is the sons of Sham through Abraham, who is the father of the Hebrew people. Can I get an amen? Amen. So this is the reason that this story is being told. This is the reason that this lineage is being told. And we also see again familiar names, number one of which is Peleg, where we, we just got through reading the, the, the Tower of Babel and God scattering the people all throughout the rest of the earth. And we know that that happened in the lifetime of Peleg. Amen? That's what we discovered reading scripture, right? It says, in Peleg's time, the earth was divided. Why? Because that's when God scattered 
all people all throughout the rest of the earth when he confounded their language. Amen? Now, we come right down to Terah and from Terah to Abram. And I like the, the fact that before the Moses focused on all of the sons, but here he's showing you why he's focusing on this particular line because every single Hebrew person in Moses' day knew of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen? Every one of them. So this lineage is showing them their heritage. Can I get an amen? Now, I wanted to read a uh, a quick note from my ESV study Bible. It says, remembering the, uh, excuse me, resembling the list of Adam's descendants from Genesis 5, 3 through 31, the present linear genealogy traces Noah's line through Sham down to Terah, the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. While the pattern is almost identical to that used in chapter 5, the final element, thus all the days of A were Z years, and he died. This is missing. It is not in this lineage. Amen? Because the purpose of this lineage wasn't to give you a time frame, but a line to a specific people. Amen? Now, the other genealogy in Hebrew understanding was giving them not only their lineage, but a time frame. Amen? Where they could know how many years it was from Adam to Noah. Amen? That's the purpose of that lineage. This lineage has a completely different purpose to show you the lineage that went through Sham. Amen? This is the purpose of this lineage. Now, uh, also, unlike chapter 5, no additional information is inserted. Consequently, the list moves swiftly from Sham to Terah. While the periods mentioned are still unusually long, they gradually somewhat become shorter. The length of time during which these men live is much shorter than recorded for men living before the flood. This is similar to the pattern found in a clay tablet from Mesopotamia, uh, the city of Uruk, U-R-U-K, called the Samaritan King List from, uh, see note, and it gives you another address. It was inscribed by a scribe during the reign of King, I can't even pronounce his name, Ulakikikaro and about 2,100 B.C. It tells of the kings who reigned for extremely long times. A flood then came, and subsequently kings ruled a vastly shorter amount of time. Now, this flood story that's all over the world, not just in the Middle East, not just in uh, Samaria, not just in... Uh, uh, Israel, but it's all over the world flood stories. Amen. So 
this clay tablet saying that kings lived or ruled longer before the flood and shorter after the flood coincides with what we see in the Bible as well, that after the flood, men began to live shorter and shorter lives. Amen. Excuse me. And begin not only that, but they were even younger when they started giving or fathering children. Amen. Because Noah was, uh, I think it said he was like 300. 300 years old when one of his sons was born? I can't remember. Six, I can't remember how old he was, okay? It wasn't 600 years because his sons were helping him build the ark. They went in the ark with their wives, right? So Noah was very old when he had children, right? And so were all the other men mentioned. They were three, 200, 300 years old, and then they started having kids. And I'm like, what? Right? Most of us were like, by the time people were 78, 90 now, we're like, really? And even by the time of Abram, when Sarah finally gets told, hey, you're going to have a child, she's 80, right? And she's like, I'm way past the age of having kids, right? There's no way. That's why she laughed, right? Because by the time Abram and his wife get married and they start to try to have children, and Abram's, you know, however old he is, 90, and she's 80, she laughs and's like, wait, that should have done that like 40 or 50 years ago, God. That would have been the ideal time to do that. Amen. Because if you told 80-year-olds nowadays, hey, you're going to have a baby, ooh. Right? They, they might laugh too or cry. I'd probably cry if it was me, okay? Just telling you. <laughs> or it might be a maniacal laugh, right? But we also see that the time frame here is getting shorter and shorter for them to live, which coincides with everything we already talked about post-flood. We talked about how we would see the, the years of people living go down. Amen? Uh now, there's a lot of theories about why the people stopped living as long. Uh, sin entered into the world, and, you know, the, 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 because men were uh, made in the image of God before that, they, the, you know, the image of God slowly become more and more tarnished, which I don't think that's, I don't think that's why it happened. I can tell you that if there was that much water... Not if, let me rephrase my sentence. Because there was a lot more water above the earth and below the earth, the atmosphere would have been vastly different. That's probably why men lived longer. And once the flood came and the atmosphere changed and God wiped all that out and started fresh, men didn't live any longer. And God said after the flood... I will not, my spirit will not strive with man forever, right? This is before he sent the flood, Genesis 6. He says, my spirit will not strive with man forever. Their days will be 120, right? So that could be another valid reason and probably the most valid reason. 
because God decreed it so. Amen? And nothing, when God says something, it doesn't just, you know, well, I'll think about that, God. <laughs> Amen? Like, can you imagine the wind? If God's like, hey, wind, I want you to go over there. And the wind was like, let me think about it. No, that's not how it happens, right? So God said, man's going to start living less time, and they did. Amen? That's how I take it. All right. Now we have the very beginnings of the Hebrew people. Amen? I want to read verse 27 through 32. Okay? We're going to finish the chapter. Uh, now, these are the generations of Terah. Now, I want you to notice that it started in verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. And then right here in verse 27, it moves to another Toldoth. Remember the Toldoth? That's a, sep a separation when God's starting something new, right? This is another one of those Toldoths. It says, now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran begot Lot. And Haran died before his father, Terah, in the land of his nativity, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took them wives. And the name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife is Malka, or Milka, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milka and the father of Ishka. But Sarai was barren, and she had no children. And Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from the Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were two hundred years and five years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, we could go into great detail about why Terah died in Haran, and Terah wasn't the one God chose to go into Canaan, because I want you to realize that verse 31 says that Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, his son's son, son of Haran, Sarai, his daughter-in-law, and Abram's wife, and they went forth with them. Now, first of all, it says, and Terah took Abram, and then it says, he went forth with them. With who? Abram. Amen? Because this is giving you a nutshell, and then it starts the story of Abram in the next chapter. Amen? I just want to read the first couple verses of the next chapter. Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy own country, 
and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto the land that I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Now this is the main reason that it's telling you that uh, Terah died in Haran, because Abram, although he was uh, God's chosen person wasn't actually called up out of the Ur of the Chaldeans at that moment. His father, Terah, and his brother, Nahor, and their wives, and, his, and Lot, his nephew, they all left together out of the Ur of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran, which is not really a whole long ways away from Ur of the Chaldeans, okay? It's not a long, long trip, but it is away from that country, okay? Uh, number one, I want to start right here at verse 27. The generations of Terah is the sixth of the 11 Toldos in Genesis. This is the sixth one. Far more than a simple genealogy or a genealogical table, this section stretches across parts of 15 chapters, including a rich supply of information about the life of Terah's most famous son, Abraham, or Abram, later called Abraham. In the Hebrew, the spelling of the personal name, Haran, differs from the place called Haran, okay? Uh, Nahor's wife, Milcah, eventually produces eight sons. Her most famous son, Bethuel, becomes the father-in-law of Abraham's son, Isaac. Amen? So there's lots of reasons that these names are applied. Amen? lots of reasons that these genealogies are being put forth okay uh, verse 30 in contrast to Milka Sarai later called Sarah was barren this painful fact is emphasized by the biblical writer restating the fact she had no child God's provision of an heir for Abraham Abraham in spite of Sarah's barrenness, is a major theme in the narratives that follow this genealogy. Amen? So God, through Noah, or through Moses, excuse me, is setting up this story that's being told, the, the, the story of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and we end with Joseph. In the book of Genesis, correct? Joseph's in Egypt, right? That's where we end, right? There's a reason this patriarchal story is being told, though, 
is because they have just came out of Egypt. Can I get an amen? No, Moses has taken them up out of the land of Egypt. He's taken them to Mount Sinai. He goes on top of the mountain, receives the law of God, and surely Moses is receiving all of this decrees and the history of these people and adding it all together with what they know. Amen. And we get the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible from Moses. Amen. Understanding that this is Moses giving the history of the Hebrew people back to the Hebrew people so they know their faith in Yahweh is not one that is frivolous. It's not one like the, the, the gods of the land of Egypt where they had just came out of. Amen. He's giving them this because they're the chosen people of God through the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through the line of Shem, all the way back to Adam, the first man ever created. Amen? So there's a reason God is showing his people. I, from the beginning of time, had decreed myself a specific people. Amen? And I want you to know, that's the same thing that happens in Christ. Whoever believes in, men, in Christ, he's part of that specific people. Amen? That's the truth of Scripture. That's the meaning of all of this. This is the reason that we're to learn it. This is the reason that we're to understand it. It's because we can dig out all these little nuggets that will help us rightly understand the sovereignty of God in choosing and working out all things according to his own plan. Amen? Now, I want to read one more note that I have up, and then we're going to kind of preface the next chapter, okay? Now, I know tonight hasn't been dramatic. It's hard to be overly dramatic with a genealogy. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Sometimes you got to just drink tea, amen? Sometimes you don't get soda pop. Sometimes you don't get, you know, uh, root beer floats. Sometimes you just get tea. And then other times you just get water, <laughs> amen? So you just got to, you got to take it as it's coming, but you got to receive it for what it is. The Bible says that all scripture is God-breathed. And useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Amen. And I think that uh, I was talking to a lady today, a couple ladies today in that meeting, and uh, some of them were like, "Well, you know, I don't, you know, I just don't think people like liturgy, and they don't like, uh, you know, formulas, and they don't like, uh, 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 you know, uh, catechisms." And no, no, we don't like that now because we've spent so long not doing it. And we don't really care to do it. And we really don't care to have an answer for what we believe. But liturgy and catechisms and all that stuff are important, okay? It's just like when we had the discussion about, uh, oh, what was it? Oh, the candles, the Advent candles, right? You realize when they started the Advent candle nearly 
1,800 years ago. That's how long an Advent candle ceremony has been going on. The Advent candle was to help illiterate people remember the biblical story of the birth of Christ. That was the whole point of the Advent candle was that the church, they're like, these people can't read. They're not, they don't have Bibles. They, you know, they don't do this, you know. So how are we going to help them to see the truth of Scripture and, and remember it? How are we going to help them to remember it, to model it, to bring it to mind? And they did that by the Advent candle. And one week they would preach about this. And the next week they would preach about that. And the next week they'd preach about this. And then they would preach finally on the incarnation of Christ. On the last week of Advent. And teach the church the the history behind why they believe what they believe. Amen. That's the same thing with all the other things. Uh, uh, liturgy throughout church history. Now, can you go too far and become too religious and too liturgical and, and you're only thinking mentally about the gospel and you're not using your heart? Yes! That is a danger, okay? But it's just a bigger danger to say, I don't want any liturgy, and then all of a sudden people don't know why they believe what they believe. Amen? People don't have any idea about church history. They don't have any idea about, you know, uh, uh, why, why we uh, recite the Apostles' Creed, why the Apostles' Creed was so important, why the Nicene Creed was so important. They don't understand why these were important. Most people don't even understand that the, the, the Nicene Creed was put out to combat a heresy that was going on at the time. Because that's the whole reason the Council of Nicaea came together was there was a heresy being uh, put forth. I can't remember the one. It's Arianism at the time was, was prevalent all through the church. And they're like, no, this isn't right. We need to come up with a statement of faith that says we don't believe that. Amen. That's the whole point of the Nicene Creed was to combat that heresy. But most people don't even know. They just think, oh, that's some uh, nifty little thing Christians were saying back then. You know what I mean? No. It's a way that they remembered what what it is that they believed Scripture taught about Christ, about the Trinity, about who God is. Amen? That's what liturgy is for, is to bring all that to our remembrance, to help us to understand it. And not only to help us to understand it, but to help us articulated to other people. Amen? That discipleship used to be all about showing people, telling people how to answer questions, how to, how to, oh, oh, well, so-and-so says this. Well, no, that's not right. Let me take you to the Bible and we'll show you what the church believes, why the church believes this. Amen? Anytime you're doing that, you're practicing liturgy. You're practicing catechism. You're simply saying, no, we don't believe that, and this is what the church ought to believe, what the Bible says. Amen? So we got to understand, when, when I was having that conversation with them, I was like, I don't think that's true. I don't think that, 
that people get turned off by that stuff. If that was true, then we wouldn't have thousands and thousands and thousands of kids going to Catholic schools and, and be practicing liturgy and catechism all the time. Amen? Uh, it happens in the Lutheran church. It happens in uh, the, the, the uh, Orthodox church. It happens in, I mean, the Presbyterian church. The, I mean, every, even Pentecostals, they don't call it catechism, okay? They don't call it a liturgy, but they have 16 fundamental truths of the assemblies of God. Amen? And that's what they believe, and it's no different. It's no different than any other liturgy. It is a liturgy. They don't want to call it that, but that's what it is. You have to be able to say what you believe. Amen? And if we believe uh, God chose uh, all these people down through the line of, to Abraham and then to Isaac, to Jacob, to all these other people, we have to be able to give an answer for that and why we believe it. Not only do we have to be able to give an answer, we got to know it. Amen? It's really hard to explain something you don't know, right? It's so amazing to me that if, if we had a time machine and we could go back 150 years, 200 years, how much more biblically literate the church was. And I say that because you can read secular letters from people in the army of this country just 200 years ago, okay? People writing home, talking about their faith, praying that God would do this, praying that God would do that, pray for me, do these things. I went to church and I went to mass or I went to, you know what I mean? And, and they talked about their faith in just letters that they wrote home. Amen? We are so far from that right now in the church. And it's because people don't even, like what we're doing right now, going through Genesis Sometimes can be pretty boring. Now, it has really exciting moments, right? It's got, it's got moments where you go, Abraham lied about Sarah being his wife. Not once, but twice. <laughs> Come on. Right? I mean, there's interesting. She was, and he didn't totally lie, okay, but... Half-truth is still an untruth, amen? <laughs> so the reason that we need to read all this stuff is because we also see that these men and women throughout biblical history, they weren't these giants and, 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 and great people who were just like so abnormal. No, they were regular people, just like you, just like me, right? David wasn't, you know walking around like a you know, little Hercules with all these muscles. He was scrawny shepherd boy with sling. The five smooth stone or seven, I can't remember. Five smooth stone and he only used one. Little scrawny Hebrew boy. Now Goliath did have brothers, that's true. That's true. Learn that too. Amen? But the reality is that sometimes this stuff gets overlooked like it's unimportant. When in all reality, 
Christians can see this Bible. They can see in this Bible God's plan all the way down to our Savior and understand that God's plan the whole time was that the seed of the woman in Genesis chapter 3 would crush the head of the serpent. And if you read Revelation 22, he says, it is finished. Behold, I am Alpha and I am Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the first and the last. Amen. That's what we get out of this. That's what we should take out of this. When we read the Bible, we ought to be reading it like we're like we're being revealed, Christ is being revealed to us on every page. Amen. And every story is, is totally gospel applicable. Amen. In one way or another, either for sin and for man's depravity or for God and his glory in how he saves people and how he chooses to do that. Amen. And when you hear, was it Peter or was it Stephen? And our four, God proclaimed the, these things through our forefathers, through the patriarchs. But in these last days, he spoke to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews, Hebrews 1. But that's, that's, the whole point. Amen. When that, when that guy in Hebrews is saying that, he's saying that to Hebrew people, letting them know God spoke to us through all those patriarchs. And in these last days, he spoke to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And his word, his testimony is absolutely above and beyond theirs because he's not just a man. He's greater than the angels, which is what Hebrews, Hebrews 1 is talking about him being greater than the angels and greater than the prophets. Amen. That's what we're, that's what we need to focus on. Amen. That's why we're learning this. That's why we're going through it, because all of God's word is important. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, I thank you for laying on my heart that exhortation that I gave at the beginning of this message. God, I pray that those people who watch this or listen to the, the podcast, God, I pray that they would not hear a crotchety old man yelling at them. But God, that they would hear an exhortation of a brother in Christ who loves them, who wants best for them and wants them to really succeed and persevere in this life with Christ. Lord, I pray that you would build in the heart of your people an enduring love and devotion and faithfulness and perseverance that they would love that they would love your word, that they would love you, that they would seek you and pray always with all kinds of prayers and supplications. Lord, I pray that they would be devoted followers to you. Lord, that they would not be complacent, that they would not be apathetic, that they would be bold in living for you, that they would live for you now. 
and for the life to come. Lord, we pray that you would help us to rightly divide your word, that you would help us to apply it to our life, that we would look at every page of scripture as your inspired, infallible, inerrant word that speaks to the heart of every matter that we could possibly think of, that's useful to us, that is beneficial to us, that man does not live on by bread alone, but by every word breathed out of the mouth of God. Lord, help us to hold on to that. Help us to learn it. Help us to live it. Empower us to follow Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.